I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. You're listening to the Acknowledge Podcast. Welcome back to the Acknowledge Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about just the agriculture sector across all of the 50 states and everything yeah. that kind of goes with it, I mm-hmm. guess. So we're going to go in alphabetical order. We're going to start with Alabama. So Alabama uh, has a couple of land grants, which are Auburn University, Alabama A&M University, Normal, and uh, Tuskegee University. I don't know how to say that either. (laughs) For those that don't know what a land-grant university or college is, it's an American institution of higher learning that was established under the first Morrill Act in 1862. And the act was passed by the U.S. Congress and was named for the act sponsor, Vermont Congressman Justin S. Morrill. But under this provision of the act, each state was granted 30,000 acres of federal land for each member of the Congress representing that state. The land was sold, and the resulting funds were used to finance the establishment of one or more schools to teach agriculture and mechanic arts. And I got that definition from Britannica.com. So Alabama's top commodity is broilers, which are just meat chickens, and their agriculture cash receipt is $5.3 billion. Um, All of this is according from the agdaily.com from an article called The Top Agriculture Commodities in Each U.S. State. Although broilers are their number one commodity, cotton is their number one planted commodity. Their largest manufacturing industry is forestry. Their biggest, like, ag sales county is going to be DeKalb. DeKalb, DeKalb, however you say that, (laughs) that's what it is. (laughs) So our next one is going to be Alaska on the alphabetical list. Their total value of agriculture products sold was $58.9 million, and I'm getting some of this information from Stacker.com. They have about 1,000 farms in operation, and their top commodity sold is aquaculture, nursery, greenhouse, Foraculture and sod, and then at the bottom they have cattle and calves. So their top is aquaculture, and so according to visualcapitalist.com, the aquaculture in Alaska was valued to be just under thirty million dollars. A little bit more about Alaska: their land grant uh, is the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and about ninety percent of Alaska land is owned by a government agency. Another interesting fact I found about Alaska is that it produced. 24,000 tons of hay back in 2020, which was higher than I would have expected. I just would have figured it would have been less for how their agriculture works compared to, like, Nebraska. I assume they have a lot of greenhouses and nurseries, too, though, like, for their vegetables and stuff up there. I don't know. I'd always want to go to Alaska. Claire's shaking her head no. Claire doesn't like the cold, though. I don't want to go to I just want to go to see the Aurora Borealis, Okay. (laughs) I can see it in pictures, and that's I don't I don't need to see it in person. <laughs> I just but I they would have polar bears, Claire. I would I would rather travel south than north. <laughs> Personally, <laughs> not my thing. <laughs> so, um, moving on, our next state is Arizona. Woo woo. Their cash receipts are twenty three point three billion. Their top ag commodity is dairy. Their land grant is for the University of Arizona, which is pretty self-explanatory i'm assuming most of them are going to be state universities anyways (laughs) so the ag industry has generated 138,000 jobs in arizona and it kind of impacts the rest of the industries Um, according to the arizona farm bureau yuma arizona is the winter lettuce capital of the world and almost all of your leafy greens broccoli cauliflower come from there during the winter months like i said before top commodities include dairy but it's also lettuce cattle and calves and then miscellaneous crops hay that kind of stuff so okay then going on to arkansas uh, their cash receipts are $9.5 billion. Their top commodity is also broilers. And their land-grant universities are University of Arkansas. At Fayetteville. At Fayetteville. The University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Their largest industry adds $9.5 billion to the economy. And agriculture is their like biggest player in their state economy. But they also have the number one rice production in the country. They have over 45000 
thousand farms, according to a Iowa State University farm of numbers by state in 2012. Do you know like what kind of climate you grow rice in? Because it doesn't have to be pretty humid. Or am I just making that up? Well, you plant it in... It's in water beds. Yeah. I know that. But I thought like it should be like humid and stuff. I would assume but so, maybe, yeah. But maybe I'm thinking of when you cook rice and you have to steam it. <laughs> rice generally grows best in, on hot days and cooler nights. This article from Science News says that many rice growing regions, temperatures are get too hot. And then the plant becomes vulnerable to heat stress. Mm. But that's surprising to me that they are the number one producer. But maybe if it's like far enough north, it's not as much of a problem. Yeah. I know in Texas, in the south, it's really, really hot. But like the farther north you go, they get more snow and more this and more that. Yeah. And obviously Texas is a lot bigger than Arkansas. But, mm-hmm. True. you know, still that's a lot of mileage between the southern point and the northern mm-hmm. point where the, you know, there's obviously a temperature difference. Or you would think there would be a temperature difference. Yeah. Okay. The next is California. They are number one in fruit, tree nuts, and berries, producing almost $18 billion each year. Uh, That is more than the size of, like, the entire agriculture sector of some states. And that category of fruit, tree nuts, and berries is the largest in a lot of the states. According to Stacker, the total value of those products is $42.6 billion, with roughly 69,000 farm operations. Other than the fruit, tree, nuts, and berries sold as commodities, milk is also. And then at the end of their list of commodities sold through the state is vegetables, melons, potatoes, and sweet potatoes. The northern farmers have been switching to like a regenerative agriculture practices, which just means they use less water and rely on more natural approaches to grow plants. So they're re-nourishing the soil at the same time as using less their natural products because they are in a drought. So a lot of the northerner farmers are doing that to help the state try to balance out their usage of renewable and non-renewable commodities. Yeah, California's had a lot of like really hard droughts this past 10 years or so, but they've also had a lot of wildfires. So a lot of like their vineyards and their um, like olive groves and stuff have like gotten seriously damaged or, you know, are non-existent anymore. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, whenever I think of California, I always think of their dairy production side of things. See, when I think of like California ag industry, I'm thinking like Grapes of Wrath, everyone moved there to have a job to be able to pick fruit or do Mm -hmm. whatever when their own stuff was lost so that's okay. when i'm thinking california ag industry i'm thinking of that which is obviously like a hundred years old at this point <laughs> but that's just because like i've read those books and stuff about it so. yeah i yeah, also I get think that. i always think like the california oranges and stuff too mm-hmm. other than the oranges uh, i actually went to california over the summer with my dad and we got to drive through lodi which is about the middle of the state it's more of the agricultural portion and so we drove past a bunch of vineyards and uh olive farms so that's what i think of other than oranges or lemons this article from ag daily says that california grows over 400 commodities and is the fifth largest supplier of food to the world that's pretty impressive considering um a good a good portion of california is is like vineyards and stuff Mm -hmm. well the their Department of Agriculture and Food states that one-third of the con- country's vegetables is produced in the state, and then two-thirds of the U.S.'s fruit and nuts are also produced in California. So that's that's a dramatic increase than I would have imagined. One-third I mean, of our vegetables. California is a big state. And, I mean, obviously there's a lot. Like, when you think of California, generally you're thinking, like, L.A., San Francisco, mm-hmm. like, the big cities. But those, like, the cities compared to the rest of the state are not that big. So, obviously, there's a lot of land that you can work from. And, I mean, you have mountains to the north and, like, the beachy stuff. So you have a lot of different mm-hmm. kind of habitats, I'm, I guess. I guess I'm surprised they don't have, like, a bigger, like, fishing uh, aquaculture, aquaculture. Yeah sector which i mean i i don't have the list so i don't know if it is or not but it's not in their top 10 of exports as of 2019 but i mean does it like what kind of fish would you find there 
you know what I mean? Because, like, some fish need, like, colder water or whatever, and they have, like, different migration patterns and stuff. So it might be just, like, a certain time of year you can fish or a certain place that you can fish. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know So I mean. think that might be yeah. a contributing factor. All right. Now we're on Colorado. Colorado's top ag commodity is cattles. Cattles. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was trying to say cattle and calves, and the S got moved to the first one. My apologies. <laughs> So cash receipts, um, $7.49 billion in their land grant is for Colorado State University, which is in Fort Collins. Um, so it's known for its extensive cattle industry. Um, they're 10th in the nation um, with 2.8 million heads. So they place 5th in the U.S. with 1 million cattle on feed. And then obviously they have a lot of um, like farms and ranches so okay here's a little tangent so my dad loves to watch youtube right and he will go on and look at like there's like those big real estate like youtube ad videos and it'll be like for ranches or these big plots of land in like montana and colorado the more like vacation these days i would want to say and they're ridiculously expensive but they're so pretty yeah they have like horse barns and they'll have a lake running through and they'll have these big views and big windows and stuff and it's that's my dad likes to watch those on youtube and a lot of them are in colorado so that reminds me of what we drive through in the dakotas north and south dakota when we go to canada we always see these giant ranches that have like very very expensive and nice horse barns but they have like you know 50 to 100 horses on each of these properties that we drive past and the houses are like mansions because they have they're so wealthy because of the commodities through their state and they're competitive it's also like a a big touristy attraction like with those houses and stuff a lot of farms i mean even if you buy one you can have it as a resort or like you can advertise it like that too that's why i'm saying it's more tourist industry than like ag industry ag stuff but Mm -hmm. i mean depending on where that land is at it might be different because if it's close to like denver or colorado springs or ss park like then you're gonna have more of the tourist stuff and be able to rent it out but if it's further out then you're not gonna have as many people interested because there won't be as much like activity uh-huh. i guess unless it's like an all inclusive right. type of deal i was thinking more of like the horse barns or whatever that they have like the bed and breakfast and then they have like tours on the and you can go on a horseback riding yeah. thing and so i mean that's still like the agriculture sector because you still have like the horses and then like most of them still have oh, like, like an it's operating like ag ranch. tourism yeah it's ag tourism like dwight's beet farm <laughs> yeah yeah okay they'll still have however many head of cattle so that mm-hmm. the people that go there for a stay they can feed can, them alfalfa and well they can them a little they bit. can have the farm <laughs> experience you know well that's like celebrities working at like fast food restaurants because mm-hmm. they're it's just an experience to them and some people are just like this is not what i want to do Okay, we're going to go on to Connecticut. According to NASDA, or the Connecticut Connecticut Department of Agriculture, greenhouse and nursery products account for over 40% of the state's total agriculture production. Other crops, um, such as sweet corn, apples, tobacco, and hay, and they're ranked 7th nationally tobacco production. But they also have a lot of dairy products, um, and eggs and Uh, aquaculture are also pretty large sectors in their agriculture and let's see they have an annual uh, agriculture cash receipt of 580 million dollars and their land grant university is the university of connecticut in stores um some of their other top commodities are florida culture and poultry and eggs they also have Along with their nursery and horticulture, they have a lot of greenhouses, so. I'm kind of surprised that tobacco is that far up there because they figured Connecticut is too far north to be able to grow tobacco. But, I mean, if you look back to, like, the old stories, you know, (laughs) yeah, the colonies, they were producing tobacco. That's fair. Okay. Okay, on to the next one, which is Delaware. They are number one in broiler meats with a little over... 100 million dollars in sales which is about number seven amongst all of the states there is nearly three out of four dollars of the state's cash farm income comes from meat chicken chickens wow which is both tyson and purdue which have operations there according to delmarva poultry industry and delaware produced broiler chickens are 7.2 pounds compared to the national average of 6.2 pounds 
and most of the grain grown in the state is used for chicken feed. And then some other products that the state produces is soybeans, corn, wheat, other grain products, um, and vegetable oils. And the Sussex County in Delaware was the birthplace of the first broiler chicken farm in the country, which is pretty interesting. And so uh, as the top commodity in the state, it supports roughly 10,000 jobs according to stacker.com. And then other than that, they also produce like melons, potatoes, and sweet potatoes, as well as oil seeds, dry beans, and dry peas. I have a grudge against Delaware now. Why is that? Because apparently they were the first state founded, and I didn't think that that was true. And I'm (laughs) mad that I didn't know that. (laughs) And I'm mad that of all the states, it was them first. But anyway. (laughs) So now we're on Florida. (laughs) Woo-woo. Um, so we have $7.3 billion in ag cash receipts. Top ag commodity is Florida culture. Their land grants are for Florida A&M University, which is in Tallahassee, and the University of Florida, which is in Gainesville. Um, obviously, Florida is the sunshine state, so they can grow a lot of different products that other states don't have the climate for. So that would include cucumbers, grapefruit, squash, sugarcane, tomatoes, well, radishes, guavas, mangoes, passion fruit, watermelon, and kumquats. But they also have 474,540 total citrus acres, which is 57% of the national total. So a lot of citrus going on in Florida. I know when I went to Florida a couple years ago, I told my aunt that the one thing that I was sad that we didn't get to see was a guy fighting an alligator in an orange grove, because that's what I really wanted to see. But not all dreams can be lived out, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, going on to Georgia. So, surprisingly, peaches is not their number one commodity. Their top commodity, according to value, is broilers, followed by cotton, eggs, timber, peanuts, beef, greenhouses, nursery stuff, dairy, pecans, and blueberries. So, peaches is, didn't even make the list. They also raise cattle, horses, goats, sheep, hogs, poultry, turkeys, and alligators. Um, This was according to their Farm Bureau in Georgia, Um, but they are a $73 billion industry. So do you think that the whole peach thing was just like a tourism thing? Because if you're like, hey, broilers are our top commodity, come see our broilers, everybody's like, meh. But if you're like, hey, come get some peaches, everybody's like, I love peaches, I'll be there, you know? (laughs) Well, I think it's just because there's not many states that can successfully grow peaches. peaches. Isn't that their, isn't that their, like, slogan? Not slogan. But, I mean, if you see, like, at at the end of Family Feud, it's, like, made in Georgia. It has, like, a big peach thing. And I also think there's a peach on their license plates, That's what I mean. Isn't that, like, their... That's, like, a big thing. Moving on, we have Hawaii. Their top production is... Macadamia nuts. That's what I have. Tree nuts. Mine says so macadamia, macadamia nuts. <laughs> well, mine say tree nuts, but then also like pineapple. Macadamia nuts. I always tree think... Tree nuts are also almonds. I always think pineapples and coconuts, but I kind of doubt. See, I would say I would say like fruits. I'd be like fruits are a Hawaii thing. Yeah, fair enough. They do a lot of uh, corn for um, like seed corn. Okay. Just I just know that... Climate. Well, I just know that because they can grow corn year round. And so a lot of corn companies that are, like, producing seed corn will go there to test their varieties to see how they do, how well they grow and stuff, because they can grow it year-round. And it's also very similar to, according to my one professor at Northeast, their climate is similar to Nebraska, like, in the spring, prime growing season, Mm -hmm. if you will, for corn. So, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But tree nuts is their top commodity, and then they also have beef, fruits, both fresh and processed, and dairy products in port. They used to have as their top commodity was sugar and pineapples, but according to the Washington Post, the last sugar grower in the state closed in 2016 after nearly 150 years in operation. And then uh, Stacker.com has tens of thousands of acres of land that used to grow pineapple now sits fallow, which just means empty. And so because of the economy is moving forward because it's dominated by tourism. Because that's what, when people think of Hawaii, they think of tourism. They don't really think of agriculture. Unfortunately. Yeah. I think of Lilo and Stitch. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I was going to say, I think a lot of like their tourism, um, just because 
that's where everyone wants to go on vacation, you mm-hmm. know, besides Disney World, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then just their their fruit production. Well, also you can grow chocolate in their climate and a lot of the stateside landlocked ones cannot because of their climate because it's tropical Mm -hmm. but also the state does a lot of commodities in nursery greenhouse floriculture and sod which is roughly 80 million dollars worth sold each year and so they just got to keep on top of the pests other than that they do really good looks like with their agricultural sector okay next state is idaho and i know you're thinking potatoes and you would be wrong The top commodity is dairy product. Um, so obviously they rank first nationally in potatoes, peppermint, alfalfa hay, and trout. But their top commodity would be dairy products, followed by cattle and calves. According to the U.S. U.S. Census Bureau and the Census of Agriculture, there were over seven hundred thousand more cattle than people in Idaho in two thousand seventeen. A lot of cows in Idaho. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Nebraska out out does that. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. It'll be a surprise. (laughs) But when we think of potatoes, we don't normally think of anything else but Idaho. Mm -hmm. You always see the commercials. It's like Idaho potatoes or grown in Idaho if you like, if you see French fries or other potato fried products. Well, I mean, it's, they're still ranked number one in potatoes, like nationally. It's just that it's not their biggest income for their state. No. But yeah, when I think of Idaho, I automatically think mm-hmm. Idaho potatoes. potatoes. And you would be wrong. You wouldn't be 100% wrong, but you would be wrong and that, that's not their top commodity. <laughs> but uh, this article says one out of three potatoes grown in the U.S. comes from Idaho soil. You're about a third of the way right. So next on our list is Illinois. Their top crop is obviously corn. <laughs> their top crop. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with a crop top. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. That made me giggle. (laughs) Um, Agriculture is their number one industry for economic impact, and it contributes about $17 billion in their agriculture cash receipts. Their land grant is University of Illinois in Urbana. I think it's Urbana. Urbana? Sure. Uh, They have over 27 million acres of farmland. So that's about 75% of the total state's land area, which means they have about 72,000 farms across the state. They rank first in national pumpkin and horseradish production. Interesting. I would have not have thought of pumpkins for Illinois. I can kind of see pumpkin, but I would never have thought of horseradish. Yeah, that's interesting too. But yeah, they they rank third nationally in exports of agriculture commodities. Yeah, they also, you know, produce soybeans, hogs, and cattle and calves. So up next is Indiana, which has production sold about $11.2 billion per year. And it is part of the Corn Belt region. So it has a lot of rich soil and organic materials also high in nitrogen, so that is why they can produce a lot of corn. But their top commodity is actually soybeans, then followed by corn. They're also a high producer in pork. Surprisingly, turkey. So Indiana is home to 4.2 million hogs, 20.5 million turkeys, and more than 56,000 farms, which 96% are family-owned and operated, which I like to see. They're also high in vegetable oils. And according to their Department of Agriculture, more than 80% of the land is claimed by farms and forests. Okay, my turn. All right. Next day is Iowa. <laughs> um, so their top crop is corn. $29 billion cash receipts in their agriculture. Um, their land grant is to Iowa State University, which is in Ames. So coming in behind California, Iowa ranks second in dollars generated from agricultural sales. Um, they're known for crop production combined with their livestock industry. So their top commodities would be corn and then hogs, soybean, cattle and calves, and poultry and eggs. So one out of five jobs in the state is in their agricultural industry. So Iowa has obviously pretty similar to us in that they have a lot of variety 
in their agricultural products and, you know, corn, hogs, soybeans, cows, calves, poultry is a lot of stuff we see around Nebraska mm-hmm. too. So Yeah, I think currently they're number one in soybean and pork production yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming corn is also at least top five, if not top three. Yeah, but they got a good football team over there too. <laughs> Claire, you're going to anger our Nebraska listeners. You know what? That's facts. <laughs> you can get angry. It's not my fault. I'm just saying the truth. <laughs> they also produce biodiesel, ethanol, and eggs. And surprisingly, the eggs don't rank amongst their top 10 exports. But if the state produces more eggs than any other state. Okay, next on our list is Kansas. So they have $18 billion in agriculture cash receipts. Their top, ex- or not exports, but their top produce is cattle and calves. And according to their Kansas Department of Agriculture, they are a leader of wheat, grain sorghum, and beef production. And their dairy sector is expanding rapidly, which is kind of surprising to me. What about sunflowers? Because isn't that a Kansas thing? Like sunflower seeds? Where's, mm-hmm. Where does that go on the list? Is it on the list? Um... Is that just a fake plot for tourism, too? <laughs> I think it might be under, like, grain products, under-processed. Oh, yeah. For yeah, sunflower seeds. That makes sense. Not that they're faking it with tourism, because sunflowers are really pretty. I didn't mean it like that, but you know what I meant. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't see it listed on their Department of Agriculture page, but that obviously doesn't mean that they aren't one of the higher producers Mm -hmm. of it. It says that they provide quite a few raw materials for non-food production, such as chemicals, fibers, construction materials, lubricants, and fuels. And a lot of them are bio-based and bio-energy based products. So they have a lot of like biofuel like we talked Mm -hmm. about before last episode. Up next, we have Kentucky. Their number one is other livestock products, which just means their equine industry. I'm (laughs) laughing because on Ag Daily, their top crop is poultry and eggs. And all I'm thinking is Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I would, what, a, what a silly coincidence. The, that only is. Reason, the only reason I would have thought horses would be like near the top is Kentucky because of the Derby. Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Okay, so the other livestock products other than horses is also like ponies, mules, and donkeys, which contribute billions to the state. And behind those kind of products is like soybeans and tobacco, and then also corn and broiler meats. And then towards the end of their top 10 is wheat and beef. Because the state is a little bit smaller, the average farm size is surprisingly 40% of the size of the national average. So the big surprise, but they're still producing some of their top commodities ranking with, you know, Kansas and Iowa and Illinois. But I would assume since having the smaller farms would equate to their livestock production of horses and other equine. Okay, so next is Louisiana. Their agricultural cash receipts are $3.1 billion. Their top crop is soybeans, and their land grants go to Louisiana State University, which is in Baton Rouge, and then Southern University and A&M College, which is also in Baton Rouge. According to the 2017 Census of Agriculture, Louisiana ranked third in U.S. rice production. Um, So that's interesting because Louisiana is close to Arkansas, who also produces rice. So it must be on the border. Must be a connection there. Crawfish is a big industry also in Louisiana. That's cool. Crawfish producers reported nearly $59 million in sales, which was up 74% from 2012. And that's, that's a lot a... of percentage jump in a few years. So yeah. good for them. A lot of crawfish. <laughs> that might lead to their sustainable farming pra- practices with aquaculture mm-hmm. that they started implementing. Do they? Do you think they fish for them or do they actually have like, like crawfish farms? farms? For them? Yeah. I would say both. I think they would have to yeah. start using farms, you know, because I mean, if they're like, that's a huge jump. I would yeah. think they would have to start farming. Like breeding them, them and stuff. Okay, so then uh, besides those, so top commodities, I said soybeans already. The others are broilers, corn, rice, and sugar cane. <laughs> I know when my uh, sister Caitlin and dad went down to Louisiana, they have a lot of high crop Alice Trauma Tractors, which is used for their sugarcane production. So they actually got a tour, um, the farm that they were picking it up from because they were bringing it back uh, to Nebraska. So they got to tour it and they got to see how they still use the high crop tractors in their production today. And they actually got to sample some of the fresh sugarcane, not like 
the actual fresh sugar cane, but like once it was processed into. I wonder. I also wonder how like the water level impacts it because you know it's like below uh, sea level. level. So I wonder if that helps with the rice production because you already have that kind of built in, not really built in, mm-hmm. but like it might be easier to make rice patties if you're already have Under the water sea, yeah. level there. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, but also with sugar cane, that would help their production because mm-hmm. they need it to. They need some extra moisture moisture yep moving on to maine we have the top commodity of potatoes according to their department of agriculture and conservation and forestry they farm 1.25 million acres of land their industry is worth uh 1.2 billion dollars on their economy and they have about 7600 farms They also lead in the nation's wild blueberry production and rank second in maple production. But yeah. And that would also, I would include normal starch potatoes and also sweet potatoes, I would assume. Just says potatoes. Okay. I know that they're also higher in like their melon production and then like other vegetables. This Ag Daily article also says dairy products, uh, chicken eggs, and turkeys. Okay. So. Well, that's number two uh, states with turkey production. Okay, next up on our list is Maryland. So their top commodities are poultry and eggs, grains, oil seeds, dry beans, and dry peas. And then rounding up their top commodities is nursery greenhouse, floriculture, and sod production, which contributes about $205 million to the state's economy. They also are high on local seafood production because they are on the coast. They have 96% of their farms are family-owned, which I love to see that some of these older states have a lot of still family-owned farms and productions, seeing that we're going into a new era of agriculture. I actually have a little stat on family farms. So according to USDA.gov, it's just like a question-answer page. So the question is, are family farms disappearing? And the answer is no. In fact, almost all farms, 98%, are family farms, and they account for the majority of farm production, which is 86%. Um, As production shifts to larger farms, family-owned farm businesses often become larger. Family farms with gross revenue of at least $1 million account for 44% of farm production, 88% of the over 61 of the over oh oh of the over sixty one thousand million dollar operations. <laughs> Sorry, the two numbers were confusing to me. Are so they're all family farms, and then smaller family farms account for forty three percent of all farm production. So farms are getting bigger, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not family farms. Yep. So fun fact. <laughs> Maryland also has big production of corn, also soybeans and broiler meats. All right, next state, Massachusetts. Add cash receipts, $475 million. Top commodity is greenhouse and nursery. Land grant is for the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. So I'm kind of noticing a trend with like the small northeast states thought a lot of it is greenhouse and nursery. Probably because they don't have a lot of like area. So that's kind of my assumption there. But... This says, although it might be small in numbers, the Massachusetts ag industry ranks in the top 10 nationally for the number of farmers markets and direct sales of farm products to consumers. So that's kind of an exciting thing. That kind of matches up with their greenhouse production and stuff. I think a lot of that also goes like besides having land, they have a lot of urban areas. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of opportunity to go sell it directly. Yeah, they have a lot of farmers Which is kind of cool because then you can like actually talk to people about stuff. So that's kind of exciting. I like that. Um, Other top commodities would be vegetables, cranberries, dairy products, and apples besides the greenhouse and nurseries, obviously. So cool stuff going on in Massachusetts. Yeah. So next up is Michigan. They have a $8.2 billion agriculture cash receipt, and their top commodity is dairy products. Their top agriculture exports, according to their Michigan agriculture resources, is processed food products, wood and wood products, soybeans and soybean meal, vegetables and dry beans, cereals, baked goods, and pasta. There is just under 10 million acres of farmland in Michigan and has about 47,000 farms. uh, Michigan farmers also rank number one in the nation for asparagus, tart cherries, black beans, winter squash, turnips, 
And um, about 17% of their state's employment is connected to the agriculture industry. So they have a very uh, kind of diverse agriculture product they sell. Up next on our list is Minnesota. Their top commodity is corn, and they have cash receipts of $18.4 billion, and their land grant is University of Minnesota at St. Paul. Other than corn, some of their other top commodities are soybeans, hogs, cattle, calves, and dairy products. The state ranks top in the nation for sugar beets, green peas for processing, and turkeys. Another turkey state. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And fun fact from Stacker is that the state is the top producer of turkeys, but about 60% of them are exported to Mexico. So a lot of them won't be found on American plates for Thanksgiving. Okay, moving on is Mississippi. Uh, cash receipts, $6.2 billion. Top commodity is broilers. So, the 2017 Census of Agriculture showed that producers raised and sold $6.2 billion in crops and livestock, hence the cash receipts being that same number. Um, not only do they have strong crop and livestock industry, but it's one of the top in the nation for aquaculture. And then other commodities besides broilers would be soybeans, cotton, corn, and catfish. So, that's a lot of C's. I like the alliteration. That's what Mississippi has has going on. <laughs> so moving on to Missouri, Missouri's agriculture sector adds about 88 billion annually to their state's economy. This is from the Missouri Department of Agriculture. Their major products include livestock, poultry, forest products and crops, the crops being soybeans, corn, cotton, and rice, which again, surprisingly, you know, follows Arkansas and Louisiana. Mm -hmm. They have consistently ranked in the top 10 nationwide for the production of those four uh, commodities. They also rank in the top 10 of the country for production of goat, hay, turkeys, and horses. They also are known for their wheat. Going on in Missouri. Mostly what they grow is the soft red winter wheat, which is used for confectionery products, like what you use for cookies and crackers, cakes, and stuff. So That's our 25th state. And we're going to actually be breaking up the 50 states into two parts uh, so you can come back next week to listen to the last 25 but uh, we're going to be moving on to talk about how uh, we will be feeding the world in 2050 estimated uh, 9 billion people on the planet i believe so i have a couple of things from the usda again it's like the question and answer page that i'm still on the question is how many households are food insecure in the united states and the answer is in 2020 89.5 percent of u.s households were food secure so they did have access at all times to enough food to provide for an active, healthy lifestyle for all their household members. An estimated 10.5% of U.S. households were food insecure, so they had difficulty providing for all their family members. Um, In 2020, 3.9% of U.S. households had very low food security. So in this more severe range of food insecurity, the food intake of some household members was reduced and normal eating patterns were disrupted at times during the year because of the limited resources. Um, So another thing to talk about is also like food deserts. And I believe that Wayne is kind of a food desert. So do you want to explain kind of what that is? Yeah. So food deserts in Wayne's case is where we don't necessarily have access to food like that are open past times, like I think eight o'clock, nine o'clock kind of. And we only have like three grocery stores, one being the mom and pop shop, if you will. And then another one in Wayne, actually, that is also owned by the same people. But then there's also like Dollar General. We have two Dollar Generals. And then I think that's it. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any more in Wayne. Basically, there's not a large... It also has to do with like how it. close your grocery stores are. Because I know D.C., Washington, D.C., our country's capital, is also a food desert. Because you have to go so far to get to a grocery store or any kind of like kind of healthy food Mm -hmm. options which is not ideal because that's a really expensive place to live so then you have to try and find food on top of it which is really difficult to do yeah i know yeah a food desert is an area that is has limited access to affordable and nutritious food that's what i was trying to get to but it (laughs) 
I couldn't think of the word affordable. And then the places that like have no supermarkets, like a Dollar General, which they often don't sell fresh produce anyway, but then they also don't have like their local supermarket would be a food oasis. So in Wayne, we have two stores that, you know, sell the food that's fresh vegetables, fresh fruit. But then you have Dollar General that usually only sells like dried foods, frozen food, stuff like that, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it has created kind of an imbalance, right? Because we don't have access to a cheaper option if you can't leave Wayne. Well, also with Food Desert, with the good quality of your fresh fruits and fresh Mm -hmm. food. Yeah. Like they can offer fresh produce but what kind of quality is that if you're in the middle of northeast nebraska yeah well and a lot of it is you know out of season so when they ship it in it's either not ripe or it's overripe sometimes you know it'll be okay it'll be fine like apples and potatoes and stuff they have a long shelf life but then you have like the lettuces and stuff that doesn't necessarily have a very long shelf life and so it might not be top quality and that's not the store's fault that's more of just being where we are Mm -hmm. but that's why a lot of people around here have done like food preservation and have learned to you know can food or vegetables even freezing it over the summer months so that they have Mm -hmm. fresher produce in the winter months i know we do that a lot with our produce that we get from the garden that we have surplus of so like our zucchini we will shred and package for the freezer we also do cabbage for like holopsy and some people call them like cabbage pockets because that's one of the two main ingredients in it, fat and beef. But we also do preserves, so like jams and jellies. And then we also can our tomato products, so salsa, chili base for soup, spaghetti sauce, and a couple other things that we do. We also can like green beans and then we also package corn so we have that fresh for the winter months. But I mean, like my grandma cans applesauce, peaches, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff you can can and then it's still a little bit healthier than having it frozen or not frozen, but like with all the preservatives and but stuff like frozen, canned, you know what I mean? Yeah, by canned food and yeah. stuff. Which... Because a lot of the like canned food in stores has a lot of added like sugar and other stuff to help yeah to help preserve it in the can so having that and going into 2050 where there's an expected population of 9 billion you know people are wondering how we're going to be able to keep up with that i think it's going to have to like rely on the areas that there's already a like large surplus of food and not letting it go to waste because a lot of it is there's a lot of food waste that does happen because some of it isn't like aesthetically pleasing so it doesn't look nice so it gets thrown out even though it's perfectly fine well Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean and then i feel like a lot of people especially in america also like we're so used to having food if you do have access to food all the time you don't really think about oh there's gonna be a time when i'm not gonna have you know what i mean it's something that you're so used to that you just are like oh i'm not hungry i'm not gonna eat it today fill your plate full just to throw it away your eyes look bigger than your mouth is you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's it's just something that i think people have to be conscious of like well and not that you can never waste food but sometimes you should just be conscious of what you're doing well and like you mentioned with a lot of the produce that might not look right which it's perfectly fine but because it doesn't fit the industry standard it's thrown away or it's um sold to with uh tomatoes and stuff they'll change it into a sauce or with potatoes they'll make it into dried potato flakes and stuff like that and i think we've mentioned it before like with those ugly fruit if you will and then they sell it as like dried fruit Mm-hmm. And there's like a box that's I don't remember what it's, it's like called. a subscription like, box thing, yeah, like one of those type of deals. And I you know can, we talked about it one time, but I can't remember yeah, the name. Of and it it's either. like like freezer dried, so it still has a lot of the nutrients and stuff. They're actually able to sell these fruits and stuff by being like, hey, let's not be so wasteful because it's it's not right to just throw it away. And a lot of those, like a lot of it goes, like I said, to other processing facilities where yep. it gets turned into you know the veggie chips and stuff like that. Or even like into applesauce. I know a lot that might look bruised or just doesn't fit the industry standards like you said will be turned into like applesauce and apple byproducts or even like um, canned apple pie filling. Yeah. And and other like frozen foods like that. Yeah. Um, But I think it also goes back to having to have better sustainable food production and agriculture. And I know there's this whole huge movement right now of farmers using more sustainable practices because if there's not good land to farm all this stuff, then there's no way we're going to be able to feed them. Mm -hmm. 
obviously, it's not only the U.S. participating in feeding this world of 9 billion people. Mm -hmm. It's also, you know, Canada, Mexico, uh, Asia, and Europe and stuff. Well, because the issue, like we were talking about, transportation and distributing the food is another issue because if it takes too long to transport, certain stuff only lasts so long. Right. So if you're transporting it for a long ways, you're going to have to add the preservatives or whatever other measures need to be taken in order to get it to places. So, like, if we're sending something to a faraway country, then it's not going to be as good as it gets when it gets there as it would be if you would just walk to your local place to you know what i mean yeah so that's another issue you run into is you have to have local or at least very close relationships in order to obtain fresh products that are going to be good for you and healthy and hit meet all your needs because not everything can be outsourced it just is not yeah. gonna work yeah when i think of that i think of like lettuce and leafy greens and then like asparagus and other stuff that can wilt easily and very quickly and their transportation process of how they might get it from one side of the country to the other or even from country to country mm-hmm well, even if you look at here, we don't have hardly any, like, fresh seafood. Yeah. Um, we have, like, imitation crab and imitation everything else. Because there's but a not, lot of it's frozen. We don't have a sea. <laughs> right, right. But, like, that's the point. To get here, they have to freeze it or it has yes. to be in something else that's preserved. So if you eat, so it's not fresh So here. if you have fish here, unless it's, like, a local whatever, if you have, like, I don't know, shrimp in Nebraska, it's probably not going to taste as good as shrimp you would get in like Louisiana, Mississippi, one of those places that have fresh shrimp on the daily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know when we went to South Carolina for a trip over the summer, we got to ride on a boat and it was next to, we had passed like a fishery and they were bringing in fresh shark from the ocean. And so that place was known for their fresh produce, not just locally, but like throughout the state because they caught it that morning and that's what they serve their customers and they would do that every single day where you wouldn't be able to have say fresh shark in nebraska yeah without those extra steps of preserving or you know overnighting it over ice yeah and a lot of people probably have never even thought about uh fin soup which is usually what shark is made into and stuff but yeah but i more into like sustain sustainable agriculture practices i know we've talked about like cover crops buffer strips irrigation irrigation practices and everything like that especially irrigation practices like right now nebraska is in a pretty severe drought at this point and more so in the north than in southern nebraska even iowa has some drought even though they've had some some good rain but if we're abusing our irrigation practices then we're not going to have anything to rely on in you know 50 years or probably even less probably even like 15 years especially if the drought keeps going the way it is because even Mm -hmm. this winter we've had hardly enough precipitation including you know snow and everything to make up for the summer so unless we're gonna have a really wet spring we're gonna go into summer again very dry but again like up here it hasn't been doing as much because i know remember over the summer i would text agnes every time it rained and be like haha it's raining here (laughs) or i would be like hey it just rained for five minutes and we would have a whole day of rain where you guys got like a little sprinkle yeah and it would or it would go around us it would follow the river Mm -hmm. i know it likes to stay on the north side of i-80 or like us and we always joke at home which is sutton we have like a little bubble around the town in our little country i mean county and so it always goes around us or like it's only raining in that spot yeah ours we always joke like that we have a bubble around us Mm -hmm. too because every time it it looks like it's gonna hit us it decides to follow the river yeah or it decides to follow the plot instead so hopefully we'll get some more rain this spring but i don't know the way this winter is looking (laughs) i'm not very hopeful i don't know it's the february 7th and it's because it was 60 degrees today yeah when it has snowed it's been very very light like it hasn't Mm -hmm. stuck around for more than a couple of days yeah. yeah i was gonna say i think the most snow we've had like up north of here was six inches at once and then it you know lasted a week yeah not much and i don't see our spring being any more moist i hope it rains a lot in the spring i hope it doesn't snow in the spring because i don't after february i'm like snow go away i want the rain (laughs) i need it to rain in march and april well also like with snow hard frosts are gonna kill off the 
early buds on trees and then I'm worried about like the fruit trees Mm -hmm. especially like these this coming week we're not it's not expected to go below freezing is it I don't think so no and a lot of trees around here have already started trying to bud so a lot of the fruit trees around here might die I know the last couple years have been like that yeah and then they have little to no produce we didn't get any uh, wild plums up here that I could find okay there was a few elderberry bushes, but most of them were, you know, on the sloughs that uh, were kind of protected from the frost. I know our mulberry production down south hasn't been that good either in the last couple of years because we make jellies out of that. I'll shake the trees and have mm-hmm. the sheets laid out. We yep. used to do that at our house too. And then you would come back with purple fingers and well, cause knees. The, the issue that we had was like our like our little playground set with the swings and slide and stuff was right under the mulberry trees <laughs> so they would just like fall off and then we'd come in and have like stains on our butts and on our clothes and everything because uh-huh. like we were playing on the play set we used to have like the regular purple mulberries but we had a white mulberry mm-hmm. tree and like a kind of a, like a mix i'm assuming yeah. it was kind of pinkish so the white ones aren't as good they seem a little tougher and they're not as sweet as the purple ones. See, the ones we had, it was, they were pretty sweet. Okay. Like, you just had to get them, like, in that one week when they were good. Yeah. Mulberries are so picky, and almost every year, to, to, to a tea, it's going to be, it was windy the week that they're ripe and yeah. you need to harvest them. Well, I was going to say, like, the best ones are at the top, and the birds get those before I do, so. See, we have an extension on, like, our telehandler that we can use. It's like a platform to reach the top if we don't want to use a ladder. But in the last couple of years, we haven't been that ambitious. My mom just called her brothers and was like yo climb some trees for me (laughs) and my grandma would be there like supervising we hadn't we had enough trees that we never like had to climb them but we used to have an apple tree and i never like i was still too young to remember but they would dad would get out the tractor with the bucket and lift someone up there Mm -hmm. you know not osha approved but i don't think just straight up climbing trees really tall is osha approved either (laughs) I feel that that's a little bit safer than being in a bucket, but... <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. But then again, in a bucket, you're not necessarily climbing a, a tree either, hoping to not land on a thin limb or something. Well, when they do apple picking, they actually stand in a bucket. It's not like the bucket you're yeah. going to talking about, but... It's like a basket. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar, but not in we a way. We used to have some apricot trees, too. We did, too. We would always have to wait for, like, the ones to fall because they were either too high up or the birds already had picked them and the bugs. Very rude of them. How dare right. they? How dare they we also, eat your fruit in order to I survive? The, the audacity of birds and Listen, bugs, honestly. Those bugs. <laughs> Bewildering. The bugs are the worst part. I think that's going to be it for this week. Uh, make sure to tune in next week to get the last half of the United States with their agriculture production. But make sure to tune in next week on Thursday at 3 for more Ag Knowledge. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on the TuneIn app. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Surf Day by Marcos H. Blanos, found on freemusicarchives.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.